0: Aloha, and welcome to the Word of Hope, with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Pastor Ralph is back with part two of his message entitled, I Become. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9. I title this part, I am a brick in God's building project. It says, Paul is talking about himself and another man named Apollos who started the church in Corinth. It says, for we are both God's workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. He uses two illustrations, you're the field that's being planted to harvest, and you're God's building. And he says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. I like that. This doesn't so much fit the message, but I want to talk about it. Because of God's grace to me, I laid the foundation in your life like an expert builder. What's he saying? God's given me the ability to think and reason and communicate, and I did that to you, and I did it like an expert. And so Paul is able to say, "I did a good job. I'm glad because of God's grace upon me, I did a good job. But I did a good job. A good job has been done." Well, it goes on and says, Because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. He goes on and says, Anyone who builds on that foundation may use pretty much anything, a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. But on judgment day, the fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a great reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. But the builder will be saved, like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. What's he saying? We're building on a foundation that is Jesus Christ, a temple in which God is going to dwell. And there's a warning. You better build well. You better use what you have well. Because at one day there's coming judgment. And it says the judgment will be like fire. It's going to burn. And the stuff that gets burned up is stuff of no consequence. The stuff of value is going to last. And he says that some people... What they've done with their life will be burned up. And he says they'll be saved. In other words, they get to go to heaven. But they're going to go there as paupers. Other people, they're going to go to heaven and they've got value. They've been laying up treasure in heaven. There's something that counts, something that's going to last. You know, I think there's two lessons in this. And we're going to talk more about the second one. But the first lesson is some people never, ever build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Their whole Christian experience is... I accepted the Lord in my life. I got hell all covered. I don't have to worry about that. I'm going to heaven. And that's it. Maybe I come to church every week. Maybe I come once every four weeks. But that's my deal. And they're not building a darn thing. Well, in light of this, it says, if you build, be careful what kind of materials you bring and how you build and build carefully, then not building anything would be scarier yet. But the point here is... That you need to build, and you need to build well. In other words, I'm a brick in God's temple, but I'm actually helping build the brick that I am. Does that make sense? You know, as I look at this, and I think of, of how all this works out in our life, I think one man's hay is another man's clay. One man's hay is another man's clay. There's a whole bunch of you, in this room today probably half of us that if somebody is having a little problem with their computer and they can't make their web browser work right you know what to do to fix it and it's just nothing for you to do. It's hay to you it doesn't count for very much but for somebody else who's just learning how to work with computers and they just figured out how to resolve a problem like that and somebody else came and said I got a problem And they went over and they fixed the person's problem. (laughs) Oh, that's solid gold or that's clay. That's something of of value because they're giving their best. It's a big deal to them. Does that make sense? Interesting thing. When you think about in the Old Testament, remember the Exodus? The problem was the people were being asked to make bricks, but they weren't being given straw to include in the brick. You know, those bricks needed... The brick was hard but the brick was brittle. The brick needed the straw so it have strength. It could be hard, but it needed to have a little bit of flexibility and not be brittle, and, and we need the hay and we need the clay in order to make the brick. But one man's hay is another man's clay. What's nothing to one person is something great to another person. My friend Marcus Snodgrass, who's sitting right there in the back, fellow in the very back row with the shiny forehead. <laughs> He's getting ready to leave us. He's moving to Houston, Texas, and his goal down there is to start a business building websites, and from the base of that business financially, to move on and begin to start a church in his house by doing Sunday afternoon barbecues and do something like what Rack's doing. He wants to start Hope Chapel Christian Fellowship in Houston, Texas. Yesterday we had a party for him out here in the courtyard and Somebody was there and they were kind of, we were making jokes and people were complimenting him and, you know, kind of stuff you do at a going away party. Everybody's kind of feeling bad. And, but anyway, someone says, Marcus, I, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but I'm just so impressed at you today because of what a mess you were when I first met you. And a mess he was. Marcus was walking with a cane that he didn't need. How old were you when you came here? Huh? 27 years old walking like a little old man with a cane that he didn't need it was a part of his shtick he was taking 15 different prescription medicines that he also didn't need he'd go on the internet and look up medical conditions and then go fake the symptom to the doctor so he could get the meds and he did all of that so he wouldn't have to go to work and have a job and he could just live on a disability that was a totally fake thing and he met Jesus. And he met Ernie Hunt. And Ernie began to disciple him. And when Ernie disciples you, Ernie is a recovered alcoholic. Ernie spent 11 years sitting on right there in that chair, although it was at Ben Parker School, drunk every Sunday morning, praying his guts out, wishing that God would deliver him from alcohol, and God did. And Ernie knows the way of people who deceive to get ahead. And Ernie's been able to confront and to rescue so many people and and God used Ernie so strongly in Marcus's life and pretty soon we're, we're getting ahead of this thing and and pretty soon he's starting to get off the drugs and he's confessing his sin he's confessing the lies but you got to sort of dribble your way off of these drugs or you're gonna you know die and and Marcus yesterday when somebody said what a mess you were and what you've become today Marcus said and I want to thank all of you because without you By now, I probably would be dead. How many years ago was that? Seven? Eight? Maybe when it all started? Not dead because of you do suicide, dead because the drugs would have just taken them out. Taking medicines you don't need and them all complicating each other. In the midst of that, this woman Renee sits there yesterday in the patio and said, were you that messed up when you came to my house and fixed my computer? And everybody goes, no, he wasn't that messed up at that time. I went to Renee afterwards and I said, I want you to know how messed up he was when he came to your house and fixed your computer. He didn't have a car. He was living at Ernie's house. Ernie was on vacation. He he could use Ernie's car. He didn't have to have a bus. She called the church, and we don't, by the way, offer this service, just so you know. She called the church, can somebody come fix my computer? Well, we just don't have somebody to come fix your computer, so don't call this week. That's the point of the body of Christ. Call someone you know within the church, and then the church will have fixed your computer. But she called up here, and here's Marcus, who's now beginning to get well enough, emotionally and spiritually. He's following a guy named Eric Schrotke around And helping Eric repair the church computers. And he's learning this from Eric. And Marcus is a very quick read. And he learns very quickly. And he starts to get this idea. Maybe I could become a computer tech. And I could start a little business. Going around and repairing people's computers on site. And he gets his first customer. Renee. But he doesn't charge her. He just goes over to bless her. Because she's got a problem. And he solves the problem. Now. If Marcus today solved that problem, he would go, that's a nothing. But Marcus, seven years ago, that was a big deal to him. He had just learned how to do that kind of stuff. Do you understand? One man's hay is another man's clay. But the other part about being fitted together is that by Renee asking him, she gave him the opportunity to gain the courage of coming away going, I could fix your computer. It worked. I could go get some business cards printed up. I could go into a little business here. I could make something happen out of my life. Well, that's not quite where God had him. Instead, Eric moved on to another job and had so well-trained Marcus that Marcus became RIT guy for these last years. And then he's gone on and built this business, building websites. Is that a nice story? See, God fitting us together. Fitting us together. Joining us together making us into something that we're not without God doing this. You know, I have two more stories I want to tell you, and I gotta, I'm got hurting for time, I can see the clock, but i, I got to get these in. In 1971 in the summer, it's a long time ago, my wife reminded me of this this week, I'd forgotten about it. Our church that we were going to become the pastors of was cavernous. It was this huge building And there were no people but my wife and I. In fact, we had the architect's plans for the building. And the building would hold 66 people. Now, that doesn't seem like much. But when there's nobody and you don't know anybody in the community and you just been made the pastor of an empty building, a building for 66 people is monstrous. And when you've been a youth pastor for a number of years and you never had more than 30 kids consistently in your youth group, 66 people is about twice your capacity. And we're freaking out, and we're sitting there, and it was kind of like this. We're, you know how how our church is. Everybody sits up here, but then we have this section in the back for moms with babies, and that's what goes on back there, at least theoretically. The little church had pews, and there was one pew against the back wall, and we were sitting back there all by ourselves on a Saturday afternoon. we had been down there ripping walls out. They had eight foot by eight foot classrooms, and we were trying to make them a little bigger so we were knocking some walls down and doing the work ourselves. We had no one else. And so it was it was late in the afternoon. We're hot, we're sweaty, we're tired. We're sitting there praying about the church and kind of crying. I mean feeling sorry for ourselves. Scared. And this person walks in the door and he just asks for some water and if he could just sit for a while in the cool and it wasn't that cool shade of the building. And he's a hippie who's living on the road and he smelled to the high heavens his backpack looked like he'd been at some auto mechanic shop and just rolled it around in the in the oil and the grime on the floor his clothing looked like that and his hair looked like he had matted it down with motor oil he had real curly hair and it was just so greasy from not having been washed he just you know what we should have offered him is, why don't you just go and use our bathroom and clean up. But he all he wanted was some water and a place to sit. We ended up giving him some money. We just figured, you, you know, you're living like that, you need some money, you need some food. And we just blessed him. And honestly, it was like, I was kind of scared. What do you do if a guy like that joins your church? And I wish I could tell you today. That he came back, he joined with us, we led him to the Lord, and today he's a pastor. But you know what, I never saw that guy again in my life. But here's what I believe. I believe the day that we accepted him, that we loved him, that we engaged him, in spite of the smell, it's like we put a key into a lock, and we unlocked the lock, and it opened up the fountain of blessing... And all those hundreds more of people who looked and smelled and acted like him that came to our church in the next few years and got saved. And some of them are pastors today. All of that happened because we did the right thing at the right time. And it stretched us completely out of our comfort zone. I want you to know there was no thought of there being 750 Hope Chapels at that time. There was no thought. We never had heard of a church Where a bunch of hippies and bikers came and got saved and got their lives transformed. All we were praying for was a nice, little, calm, sort of respectable, middle-class church in Manhattan Beach, California. Because that's all we could think of to pray for. Am I making sense to you? But God was trying to work us and shape us so he could build a church that would be a dwelling place for him. Well, a similar thing happened last week on Friday. The same day that Rack had the blow-up where he was at, we were with our next-door neighbor over here at the, the drug treatment center. And we've been having people come from that place up here for years. It's Hinamauka. And for a number of years, people come up on Friday nights. One week will be men, the next week will be women. They don't let them come together. And we'll, we'll have about ten people except the Lord every week from that place. And we think it's been a pretty wonderful ministry. A few weeks ago there was a problem. It was a night that the ladies come. We never never have had enough women to really support when the women come. When the men come, the guy who oversees it and, and is a graduate of Malka, And so he's pretty well equipped to deal with the men. But when the women come, uh, he's just a bull in a china shop and so sometimes he's misunderstood and he's just not real good with the ladies. He just doesn't have that soft touch. And so sometimes things don't go as well as they could. And this particular night, they had brought some women up, and one woman didn't come to church. She was out in the parking lot with her boyfriend who came and met her here. And that's a no-no. And then she didn't get back in the van to go back down the hill on time, so she got in late. And then when she got in trouble, then she had some bad things to say, and one thing led to another, and they just completely cut off anybody to come to this church. And so we're sitting around, and we're praying about it, and we're feeling bad about it, and we're thinking... Uh, This is a terrible thing and they don't like us and we really want to see people because we know there's about 20 people now in our church who are graduates of Hinamalka who are clean and sober and dry and living for the Lord and we think that we're an addition to what they're doing and they're an addition to what we're doing and it's a good thing. So the person who's overseeing all this put together a meeting with some of our leaders and some of their leaders and we would go down and we would try to talk our way through the problem. When we got down there, what we found out was that the the CEO of the place is going, I want churches to be involved with this place. And what you guys do is wonderful. And he wasn't even aware that the thing had been cut off for eight weeks. And and he's just wanting us to become a model. And we found a way, Rob and I were there, and we think we found a way to introduce some other churches to them. And we think that'll be a good thing. So he's going to come out and make some contacts and do some things. And we're going to try and help him and So that all worked out really well. But in the middle of all that discussion, just by accident, one of our ladies' pastors happened to come to the meeting. She wasn't scheduled to come to the meeting. She just happened to drive her car up here at the time that the bull in the china shop saw her and goes, we're having this meeting down there, can you come with us? And so she came down, and in the middle of it, we were talking about the fact that we haven't done such a hot job with the women. And this lady from our church says, we'll take that on. We'll make that a part of the women's ministry. We'll get people to move from one service to another and come here on Friday night to engage these women as they come up here. And right away, she got three volunteers already within a week. And we had men up here last night. There'll be women up here next week. And we're, we're going to be ready for them. Here's what I think happened. And I'm deadly serious about this. This isn't just some light little story. I'm deadly serious about this. I think... Our church, at the moment that she did that, was very much like the moment that my wife and I engaged that greasy-haired, smelly guy in 1971. Our church, in a way that to most of you is symbolic, because most of you are not involved in that. But our church said we're going to engage these people. And we have not before. Here's the churchy thing, and we do it pretty well. Oh, isn't it wonderful that we're doing that thing in Cali? That's just so good. I'm so happy for my church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and we have this ministry going with Hinamaka. That is so nice. Oh, bless God. That's, that's the churchy thing. Oh, they went to the Dominican. We saw that nice video. That one family, with the whole family. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, I'll give a few bucks to the Dominican ministry. I'll rustle up some old eyeglasses. Here's what you ought to be doing. You ought to be going, God, when they go to the Dominican again, do you want me to go? My friend Hal Jones just flipped back on me. Remember Sundar that came here last February and talked to us about he's the land developer in, in Nepal. Where Christianity's growing faster than anywhere in the world. And, and he's gone out, out of his own pocket and financed 165 church plants. And every church plant, they establish a pig farm or a goat farm to feed the pastor. Well, Hal Jones came here, and they do this global hope thing, and they have the ability to raise money, and and they went and they checked out Sundar, and I brought Sundar into a conference they had. They had a conference to bring rich Americans together and give them a vision for missions. And so I just had to badger my way to get Sundar to speak at their conference. And I'm sure that they were just humoring me because I'm loud and pushy and bossy, and so they gave us a half hour for Sundar to speak. They had all these important guys from India and all over the world that got PhDs after their name. And here's this ill-educated little brown Nepali man. And we're going to give him a half hour so Ralph will shut up. That's kind of the way it works. And he stole the show. They're all flipped out, freaking out. They've been sending delegations of rich American businessmen to Nepal to try to learn from this guy what he does. And it's become the model for Afghanistan, Pakistan, and whatever all around the world. And I got an email from Hal telling me that this week and then he flipped it right back on me and he said, why doesn't your church, because Sundar has three orphanages, and when the kids grow up from the orphanages, he's getting them education as nurses, as veterinarians, And as pastors and he's taking over his country and he goes Sundar has three orphanages we're gonna fund ten more why doesn't your church make it an annual trek to take a team into Nepal and help with evangelism and at least befriend the kids in the orphanages and now it's like I was pushing Sundar on him he's pushing Sundar on me I told that story last night in church and a woman who's been kind of a missions junkie. She wants to go places and serve the Lord. All of a sudden she comes and goes, this is my call. I will become the point person for Nepal. Now, here's the deal. If you're sitting there going, oh, isn't that wonderful that they're going to do something in Nepal? Bless God, that's wonderful. That ain't enough. You need to be going, God, would you like me to sacrifice my vacation? Would you supply the money? Would you make it possible for me to go on a trip to Nepal? And I guarantee most of you, he'll say no. But if we don't get to the point that we pray the prayer, we're not getting to the point where we're allowing God to fit us together with the rest of the body of Christ. Because when we pray the prayer, now what's happening is we're exposing ourselves to the Holy Spirit, and he can say, I'm taking you out of your comfort zone, not to Nepal, but across the street. Does that make sense? The Malka thing. Here's the problem with Malka. They've been coming up here for probably five, six years. It's always been those alcoholics and drug addicts and those former alcoholics and drug addicts self-contained. And the rest of us, the nice middle class people in the church, sort of sit over here and do our little thing while they do their little thing. And we're very happy that they're doing their little thing on our church property. And we never engage. We never engage. We never engage. And when... The women's ministry can say, and, and, and I just, excuse my terminology, but I don't know better words to use, so just try to get the story, not the terminology. Nice, middle-class Christian women can say, I'm going to get out of myself and out of my comfort zone, and I'm going to go and deal with an, with an alcoholic or a drug addict, and I'm going to befriend them, and I'm going to be person that they're looking forward to seeing every other Friday night and I'm going to be praying for this person and I'm going to be writing little notes to them and I'm going to partner with them and I'm going to do whatever it takes to help them get out of wherever they're going which is down if God doesn't do something at the point that we as a church begin to say I'm willing to get out of myself and engage people I think in the spirit we're putting a key in a lock and we're unlocking the lock and we're opening the door For the blessings of God to come in our life. Am I making sense? But folks we want to be fitted into the temple. That's the dwelling place of the Lord. Am I getting through today? But it's going to take us. Coming to that place where we thrive on not being comfortable. That we thrive on going. God this life is 100% available to you. I'm becoming something that I'm not. The word become. Become becoming a temple, a dwelling place for God suggests that you're becoming something you aren't. You're going someplace you never went before. Something's going to happen that never could have happened if this moment didn't occur in your life. You're growing, you're becoming, you're moving, you're being shaped. You're being fitted together with your brothers and sisters and God's doing something good and gracious and new and fresh in all of our lives. That might make it sense. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe.